Hello, and welcome to Untitled, a series of candid conversations with artists, gallerists, curators, and critics from the international art world. I'm your host, Marie Lafontaine. Join us as we discuss the complicated business of working in culture and the ups and downs of creativity. For each episode, I'll be interviewing a new guest. I hope you enjoy our conversations as much as I do. I met with the artist Sarah Rabar in New York City in the last days of summer last year. She was warm, friendly, and incredibly passionate about her work. Sarah is both intimately connected and at the same time two steps removed from the intricate political situation in the Middle East from which she and her family flew in the early days of the Iranian Revolution. She currently lives and works in New York, where she makes sculptures and installations out of objects which she finds in flea markets and antique shops all around her Long Island studio. Her work is in many ways a portrait of America today. Bits and pieces from old farm tools, artillery, and uniforms are torn apart and reassembled into different forms. I sat down with Sarah in Brooklyn to discuss her inspiration and her exhibition last summer at Governor's Island, a short ferry ride from Manhattan. I think for me, it was always there for me. I don't remember ever not having it there. Like, And I don't ever remember thinking like, this is a job. This is a career. I'm an artist. Like saying I'm an artist is still funny to me. Like, like I feel like it's foreign. Like it's I'm talking about someone else. It was just something that I always did. It was like showering and eating. It was so really? in, like ingrained and instinctual for me. And I think that's why when I try to like intellectualize it, think about it too much, I lose something because it's my natural instinct. So I have to just let it flow. Mm-hmm. So literally since I was a little kid, I've just been making things. It's just till like the, maybe the last 15 years that I call it contemporary art. Cause that's, mm-hmm. you know, we want to label everything and try to understand what it is, but yeah, like forever yeah. I've been doing this. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I guess you started with painting and drawing when you were younger and then it just kind of progressed it's from there. Funny. I, I'm thinking about it now. I remember even before that, I mean, before it was like um, taking stuff off the street and putting them together and like, mm-hmm. or like getting things from different like craft stores. But obviously I didn't know that was sculpture. But then I went on to painting and like photography. And, and then from there it went on to um, textiles and, and sculpture. And you just, you just keep experimenting. But yeah, I think when I did the photography, I still love it's just taking on a different form maybe but the painting never i could never get to a place where i I think it's because i was always i liked sculpture i liked objects so Mm -hmm. i think that's why yeah i couldn't the tactility of everything and actually i read that you um studied at the uh, the fashion institute of technology i did and i have to say like i i did that only because like i was so lost and like, I literally followed one of my friends there. Like I remember, really? yeah, it was so <laughs> ridiculous. I was like, high school's over. What do I, I didn't think that you could be an artist mm-hmm. and there was nothing else that I had in mind. And I, I just remember like my brother and I, we just really were like on our own to figure things out. Like we didn't know what the SATs were. We didn't know what high school, like we were just like lost, like trying to figure it out. Not a lot of like our parents were just working all the time, like immigrant families, like they're mm-hmm. just nonstop. So I just remember everyone was going to college and I was like, how do you do this? How do you apply? My friend was like, oh, don't worry. We'll go to FIT. I'm going there. Just come with me. And I remember just uh, 
making a portfolio in a panic, not really understanding like <laughs> what the hell is going on. What I just remember thinking you not knowing you can make money and not make a life. So I thought, okay, couture, fabric, textiles, that's kind of like textile, it's sculptural and I could make a, I could have a job from it. So mm-hmm. I just went there, but it wasn't a great experience. <laughs> no. Central St. Martin's is where everything came to like fell oh, and together that was for afterward me. Yeah. in London. That was the best. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. and what sort of like what struck you there? What was the the different experience there? It was just total and complete freedom. Really? Like everything it was all about like, oh, if you can't draw this apple, you shouldn't be an artist. Everything was all like I had several professors tell me, like, you should just drop out. You should continue like you should find another major. You because I couldn't do life drawing. Like you don't like it was like you can't draw, so you shouldn't be an artist. You can't paint. Like everything was like very formal and very structured and I felt like I was suffocating and I felt like mm-hmm. maybe this isn't for me it was only until I went to Central St. Martin's where it was like do whatever the hell you want to do mm-hmm. and basically it was they taught you how to think like it wasn't just about making you know we would start the day off with politics and talking about life and then they would just let you go freely and they wouldn't teach you even like anything I remember they were just like we're not going to tell you how to work with plexiglass. We want you to figure it out and, and discover a new way. And that freedom was just like, it brought me closer to art rather than pushing me away, which was with that's FIT. Amazing. Maybe that's why they have so many uh, successful graduates. I know. I mean, so many uh, people who come out of the school. Yes. McQueen. like Exactly. So like so many of my favorite, like Galliano, and they're not even in um, art, but to me, what they do is like sculpture. It's beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I totally yeah. agree with that. <laughs> I think um, I think that art is so much more about ways of thinking than it is actually about producing something in the end. Yes. Because I don't want to call it a lifestyle, but it's when you're in it, you're really in it. Yeah. You know, right. it's in every single corner of your life. You're Absolutely. thinking about it when you wake up in the morning and when you fall asleep at night. It's like uh, all-consuming in the best way possible. And and if you're in a mode where they're telling you, "Listen, you're doing it wrong." Or you have to do it this way, like this really academic method. Right. Um, in my personal experience, talking with other artists, it's just really, really stifling. Yes. Because it's so difficult to contain creative people in a box. And usually the most amazing artists that you have in art history are the ones who actually were only thinking outside the box. Exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, just goes to show <laughs> I'm 100% with you it's very it's, it doesn't work mm, absolutely <laughs> yeah. not um, I just want to come back to uh, to a few things here uh, tell me tell me a bit more about the works that we saw at, at Governor's house so there was uh, there was a flag there hanging on the wall one of your mm-hmm. um, multimedia textile works right uh, and then you had um, sculptures that were kind of placed throughout the room and at the time, I even told you, uh, it looks like the works were actually made for the house. <laughs> like they fit into this environment in such an amazing way. So maybe you can just tell me a bit about your process in, in making these works. First of all, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Uh, it really, when I heard about Not a House, it was just accidental like that that happened, that it looks like it's a permanent installation, <laughs> like just because of the history and the, the house and everything is like kind of like the cap, like falling apart and because my work just addresses those issues like that happened there and it's just you know war and violence and Mm -hmm. you know the human condition just like our struggle to like be on this planet and be with other people and 
trying to kill everything that's on this planet. Yeah. <laughs> like that kind of Be- stuff. Because actually it was, um, Governor's Island was an, an army base yes. for a really long time. Exactly. And then it was a, a Coast Guard base until I think 1996. I think so. Yeah. I actually, I, it's funny. I've been in New York for like 40 something years. I've never been on Governor's Island. Really? I didn't even know it existed. Wow. I didn't even know about it. It was just, I don't know what it is. I just never like knew. And people go there like all summer and stuff. It's mm-hmm. a destination. I just never... Never knew about it. Yeah. But it was a good experience. Um, th- th- there's four bodies of work there. Uh, confessions, war, flags, and 206 bones. And this is like over, I'm trying to remember the date of like the oldest piece there. But basically this is like over like 15 years of work because it's like four different bodies of work. And I think like when I did the flag series, um, which is, uh, I think in like 15, 15 years, there's like a total of like maybe 50 something. So I was just in the beginning, of course, I was just showing the flags and some photography because I didn't have any other work. And then as the other work developed and I started showing them together, it started making sense somehow. Because when I see it in Governor's Island now, I can't remember if I had a show where I had all the series like in one room. And it's quite a small you know, it's like compressed. It's like, um, uh, I think it's a lot going on in that small, it's like a bedroom yeah. or whatever. It's yeah, like a exactly. fireplace. But the work somehow with the sculpture and like the, the hands, the cast hands and the army bag, it kind of like puts together like a story. It kind of like brings the whole thing together, I think. Um, and I think uh, there was a point where textiles for a while and like sculptural kind of stuff. But I felt like just like when I reached that, plateau that kind of like that wall with painting and photography where I needed something more and that's what the cast hands and feet mm-hmm. did for me I needed it to like have a human touch yeah so that room has all and those. it's actually your own hands and yes. feet yes. that are cast in iron right and you've cast them onto these well they're basically like old tools right yes I uh it's a amazing place modern art foundry in Queens and Astoria they've been there for like I don't know, like ridiculous amount of time. They did uh, Louis Bourgeois' first spider. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, when no one could, thought they could do it and it's going to mm-hmm. collapse on someone. And mm-hmm. So they've been around forever. And basically, um, when I realized I want to do this, I knew I always wanted to work in bronze, but I just felt like, you know, it's so, it's heavy. It's a very heavy like thing to get into, not just like... It's intimidating yeah, also. Yeah, it's so permanent. Mm-hmm. It's like time, like it just takes forever. You just have to be... You have to be, I feel like, confident and like ready for that move. But the the fact that it's my own body was just like, I just thought, okay, I knew exactly what I wanted. And to get someone to go into the foundry for six hours and sit there and like. Yeah, because you have to sit there a really long yeah, time while they make the cast. Super long time. Like, yeah. So it just felt like, okay, I'll do this. And then as I grow, I'll bring other people in. But let me just figure out what I'm doing first. And so I just kind of went, but it's not meant to be about me. It's just about like stress positions and mm-hmm. the human the human condition and the other works that are shown at governor's house there with other old tools and and also right. you have weapons yes. and all sorts of things that are mixed in yeah. there it's like such a crazy room it's really intense you, you walk in <laughs> i mean describing it <laughs> i didn't think it was but now <laughs> no when you're in the works it, it doesn't feel like aggressive actually oh. it's like i said it, it feels like like they're meant to be there somehow or it's like it's like very organic but when you break them down into their individual parts, right. it's actually p- kind of violent. Yeah. 
yeah. but but this is a sort of trajectory of work that you've had since the very beginning. Absolutely. Where I, I saw before you were making works also with bullets and different yeah. parts of weapons, like basically you're making the weapon useless when you take it apart and then Absolutely. and then incorporate it into all these other artworks. Right. Um so uh yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's an impressive uh exhibition. <laughs> it's funny. It's so instinctual that like when I'm collecting, like I've become a very calm person myself. Like now I'm like meditating and running and vegan and I'm sober and I'm like trying to make myself calmer and calmer every day and doing all these mm -hmm. things to like just really just be peaceful and calm. And the work is like the opposite of me right now. And that's why I think it's going to change dramatically as I'm changing. But even before that, like I was never a violent person, but I guess this stuff just comes from life. Mm -hmm. because I, and I never thought of it as violent like people always tell me and I'm like is it really because for me I'm just like working stuff out in my head so it's very like cathartic and very calming and like healing so I never I don't know I don't think about it like when I get these guns and these weapons yes they're guns there's weapons and also like you know if you think about it like kind of like body parts because like, they're always <laughs> cut off mm -hmm. but it's so instinctual for me and I guess I, I, don't, I never thought of it as violent, but it, it can come across like that. And the tools are like, I feel like it's a form of recycling too, because I go to these flea markets and these, um, just like from Viet, like veterans and like different places. And I like gather these like 18th century, 19th century. It's like American history. Yeah, all these tools, true. you know what I mean? That And mm -hmm. everything's in plastic now. These are all in wood and yeah. metal and people made them by hand and there's like initials in it. So it's like, it's really the worker and like, just like our history and how it's somehow like it's taken over deeply personal too at the same time because these are tools that that people have been using probably for like more than a decade Absolutely. or even longer if it's been in the family for longer and then at some point they're ending up in a flea shop uh, right. at the end of new york so it's, right. it's 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 somehow sad and personal at the same yeah. time because it's part of someone else's life Exactly. Um, but but let's go back to your own uh, autobiography mm -hmm. um, because uh, when I was reading about your work and I was talking also with your gallerist about it, uh, it's it's actually somehow autobiographical because of your own uprooted past and your own personal right. journey to come to the U.S. Right. Um, it's so weird because it's like such a long time ago. Like I think about it now, I feel like I'm talking about someone else. Yeah. Like, it was like such a life, it was almost like, yeah, over 40 years. And basically it was like, you know, a typical story, which I think like these days, like everybody I talked to, it's like the mm -hmm. same, any immigrant story. It was like, um, we lived in uh, Iran, in Tehran, and basically like, you know, the upheaval of, it was the revolution, which now we know like America had a huge, you know, role in. It was the revolution and then the Iran-Iraq war started. And I think it was... Um, around that time that they started closing the borders and my parents knew it was, I mean, a lot of people realized it's not going to get better. And this is a situation that's like kind of like terrifying because you just don't know, like you don't want to wait too long until it's like really too late. Mm -hmm. And you just kind of, and it's dangerous because it was my brother was one and I was, I think four. Um, and so, you know, just like, I mean, I said it's dangerous and it's hard, but I mean, look at today, everyone's doing the same thing, like from all these countries that are, you know, literally like you don't leave and run away from your country in like such a difficult, like dangerous way with your kids, like unless you have to. Yeah, of course. 
I try to remind people that when they're like, go back to your country mm-hmm. or like, why are you coming here? A lot of times, like, you know, America's had a role in the destruction of that country and people are in this situation where they have no choice. And that was our situation. Like it was getting worse and worse every day. And we just knew it was like unlivable. Like it was getting really bad. So we escaped and, you know, it took us, uh, it was supposed to be a short trip and, uh, my parents thought they paid the smugglers to like, you know, a day, like there was supposed to be a plane involved in a car and it was all lie, like a typical situation. Mm-hmm. So it was like seven days on foot through oh like God. snow and terrain. And my brother was in a gym bag and I was like on someone's back with like 50 coats because it was freezing like mountains. And at some point they put us in a cave between like, I think Turkey border and I don't know where we were. And no one came and we had to like melt ice to give to my brother. And like, it was just a very stressful, like, like time to just, until we got to Turkey. But then once we got to Turkey, we had um, my brother's dad that came, we had little support and we were able to get to the U.S. and we've been here ever since. So I'm sure that took, you know, played a role. That's the first five years of my life. So yeah, of course. I mean, my daughter's also, she's four years old right now. And if I would think to, that she would have to go through the same situation. Right. I mean, even, um, obviously, I'd never had the same situation as you, but I moved around <laughs> a huge amount of times when I was little. Oh, Like dear. every year and a half, two years, a new city, a new school, et cetera, et cetera. And even though it wasn't, oh, bless you. Apologize. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Sorry. And even though something like that isn't inherently, you know, traumatic, right. it's still, obviously, these things have an effect on you. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, so uh, then you grew up in New York. Yes. And um, your parents actually opened a restaurant. Yes. I read <laughs> Persian food. Right. Fantastic, by the way. Yeah. You do what you know, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, and, and then I uh, was reading that actually after September 11th, um, they started to get uh, uh, threats at the restaurant. Yeah, so bizarre. Which is crazy. Nothing to do with Iran, that whole thing. Yeah. And even if it did, like nothing to do with us. <laughs> like, it's, it's so bizarre. It's like... Even if it was a bunch of Iranians doing that, what do we have to do with that? Like mm-hmm. we've been living in that country, like we've been in America at that point for like literally almost like 30, over 30 years. We pay our taxes. We haven't committed any crimes. Like what? It's so bizarre, the human mind and how we can just kind of like blame, a, you know, an entire race for like this one thing. But it was just a very, I think, scary time for everyone, confusing time. And they just wanted someone to blame. And yeah. People were acting crazy, mm-hmm. like nonsense. Yeah. Pure ignorance at that time. A lot of horrible things happened to a lot of people because people were just scared and acting from fear and ignorance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, it actually sounds very foreboding. Right. <laughs> Considering <laughs> also a present day political yeah, situation. What else is new, right? <laughs> oh my God. But uh, let's, let's get back to your work. Um, so a lot of the works also... Uh, have very uh, either like pa- patriotic or even right. sometimes biblical names like um, do unto others, which is, of course, do unto others as right. you would uh, have them do unto you. Exactly. Or uh, home of the brave. That was a flag that you made. Right. Or liberation for all. Yeah. Um. So actually your work, would you call your work political or you feel more that it, your personal expression is simply coming out in a way which has political connotations i think that second thing you said because i think again like just like being an artist like i never thought about it 
I think being political too. I never thought about that. Like I never thought, oh, I'm political. Or I want to be. It was never an intentional thing. But like, I mean, I remember like when I was like four or something, four or four and a half, whenever we left, I was like sitting on my father's back and we were like chanting death to America because it was that time when that stuff happened in Iran and people were like blaming the U.S. and yeah. why did they do this and why did they interfere in our country? Like, so, and I don't, like at that time, I don't think I, I knew what was going on. My father, no one knew what was going on. It was just chaos. Everyone was just scared again, reacting out of fear. But then even when I came here, like since I was little, like it was always protests and, you know, rally, like just my parents were, my mom a lot more, even till this day, very, you know, caring and involved in this kind of stuff. So it was kind of ingrained in me. Like I never thought about it. It was just a part of my life. And, you know, like the way I came here also, it was just like, I never thought like, oh, I want to talk about that. It's just, you know, you talk about what you know. That's what I knew. So I think it just kind of like was natural because the work is a reflection of my life. So mm -hmm. it makes sense. And how is actually the process for when you're putting together the works? Like, do you, do you have like a, a work or sculpture in mind? And then you think, okay, mm. I have to do it like this. Or do you kind of take apart the tools and all of these other things and then everything comes together at some point, like right. more organic? <laughs> I'm really, really interested in, in the process. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, all of the above. Sometimes, like, I'll get very distinct images in my mind. Like, there was this helmet piece in the Nada house where it was like a, like five helmets on the floor yeah, and like these clenched that. hands. Mm -hmm. So that piece, I remember I was like listening to this music and I was on a road trip and all of a sudden I saw the helmets. Like I saw a pile of helmets on the floor and I started thinking about hands and at a distance. So like sometimes it's a very clear image, but like just, I have to just figure out how to like bring it out of my head into real life. Like that's a process. And then sometimes I just collect, like I'll go to like four flea markets like it'll be the summer. I'll just be like road trips here, there. And then like, I'll go to my studio and it'll be a pile and I'll just need like time to just kind of like, I just start going at it and start piecing together like a few pieces at a time. And, and, you know, you destroy things and you try again and you, so sometimes it's just um trial and error. And I just have to like live with the objects for a while. And then sometimes it's like a very distinct image and I just have to figure out how to make it. So, but it's in the end, it's all natural. It's all very like, it just, it's like smooth. I don't have to push it. It's just very organic. Things just come to me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, that's, that's really interesting. Um, I feel like uh, this is probably something that a lot of artists, they struggle with actually, uh, especially if you feel like you have pressure to make the works, to produce yeah. works for shows or or to sell works or, or things like that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, sometimes, sometimes I'll speak to an artist and then they'll say, yeah, I just had to uh, make five works for uh, the gallery, and um, so I just made some. <laughs> I wish and I'm like, I wow, this is like a, a, such a crazy mix of capitalism and art, um, because art always feels like, or they try to, like, it positions itself as trying to be so far away from mm -hmm. the commercial realities <laughs> right. of, you know, day-to-day -day life. Not the case at all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, let me just see, what else did I have here? so funny so that it's changed so much yeah that's true that's true it's not what especially it used to be. especially the art market in new york absolutely so is, commercial yeah but that's also why uh, like my own background is coming from berlin mm -hmm. uh, and there there's no art market whatsoever <laughs> like it's it's almost non-existent it's about artists there yeah but you know you have cheap rent and right. so there's a lot of artists who are even moving there from new york yes because that's what you I can heard. have yeah. a cheap studio and you can work 
but you can't sell the work there. Right. So then you have to ship it back. <laughs> so bizarre. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't think I had any other questions. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm just going through my my pages now, but I think we covered a lot. And I usually okay. I try and keep it like between 20 minutes and half an hour anyways. Oh, okay. So okay, um, the really long podcasts are like difficult, I think. For people to listen to, yeah. right, to keep up with it. Yeah. Um, maybe just a, a couple rapid fire questions yeah, before course, we wrap sure. everything up. Uh, where do you, where do you feel like your work is going? In what direction do you feel like, uh, you're moving in as an artist? I know it's a really difficult question to answer. (laughs) No, it's funny, Marie, that you asked that because I actually have been in this place, like, especially like Governor's Island was a very pivotal, like, like point. Like once I saw that show myself, I, because I'm changing so much, I'm doing so much stuff. Like I'm like doing like ayahuasca and like just like working on myself and like doing hypnotherapy and just doing stuff to like deal with like my past and deal with my traumas and trying to like heal myself and move to a better place as a human being and like just be better and and as that's happening like I'm moving away from this work and Governor's Island seeing 15 years of work in one room really did something to me so I I felt like okay the flag series is done like the 206 bones, the, the the wooden ones, I felt like I'm done. Like I, I went to a flea market after Governor's Island. I couldn't buy, I think I bought two things. And you usually come back with like a trunk full. So I was like terrified that I couldn't buy. Like I'm not the kind of artist that could be like, oh, I, haven't, I have to give five pieces. So I just did them. Like <laughs> I wish it was that like natural. Um, I, But I just literally, I have to feel things. So it was very strange. But like I literally was in that room and I was like, the only thing that's left, I think, is the bronze that I still feel and like the body parts and maybe some, uh, the bronze will go to like abstract, maybe like more sculptural stuff. But I literally feel so um, detached and distant from that work where I feel like, okay, those, all those bodies of work, work are complete and I'm done. So I have to, at this point, either come up with something new or not be an artist anymore. <laughs> so. Which, like, which would also be okay, actually. It would be okay. I just have to figure out a way to support myself yeah. and my dog. So. <laughs> you and you know, the dog. Yeah, of course. That's yeah. my child. So Aww. I have to like, you know, when you're responsible for some mm-hmm. someone else and you always have to think, you know, yeah, you want to be like free and do something, but you have to think, you know, you have to take care of yourself and that other person. So you yeah, have to be responsible. Course. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, next question. Uh, who do you feel has been the greatest uh, creative influence on you and your work if you had to pick one it's a very tough question it's almost impossible yeah. right like, <laughs> it's like almost you're asking like everything else I was right there with you because it's like I mean how do you you know what I mean because it's like it's from music to like poetry to like and the thing is with me like I'm inspired by like everything like art could be architecture it could be like dirt it could be like anything so it's very hard I mean there's like such an endless amount of artists like I don't know from Louis Bourgeois to Kiki Smith to like Robert Rauschenberg to like I mean and you say names and you always know like you're forgetting someone to like Francis Bacon to like such an and like I can open up an art history book and be like I mean there's so many literally like even like I just thought I said art history and I thought of Goya like I thought like there's just so many and it's like you never know if they're having a direct influence or not you just you're just in love with so much stuff. And it's so like, there's so many artists where I'm like, oh my God, like, I wish I did that. Like, yeah. oh, how did they do this? Where this? So there's so much endless stuff. And then, but I think, it, I don't think that 
my work and I don't know about other artists, but myself personally, the work necessarily comes from other art. It just comes from life and like stuff that I experience and like emotional triggers and like memories and things like that rather than like art pieces. I just, those pieces I just enjoy and would love to be able to see and maybe live with one day, you know, but I don't know if that influences me. I think more my work literally comes from my emotional content in my head, mm-hmm. <laughs> in my but heart. Maybe it, maybe it all slips into the unconscious somehow. For sure. That yeah, stuff. You, yeah, for sure. You don't know what's going on in there. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's a lot, a lot of stuff in there. Yeah. I'm trying to, I'm trying to reach that. Actually, I'm trying to get to that place so I can grow. Mm-hmm. Like, what was it? It's Agnes Martin documentary when I was watching, like Agnes Martin before the grid. And I was thinking, I want to get to this place where I can kind of like, maybe it's just lines. Maybe, I don't know what it is, but I just want to go to a place where I'm just working for my subconscious and it's smoother and it's like calmer and it's an, it's coming from a new place. Yeah. Like pure creativity. Yeah. You, know, you feel it in your gut. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's been that until now, but I, I just want to go deeper. Yeah. yeah. Well, Thank you so much. Of course, thank you. It was so nice talking to you. It was nice talking to you as well. And uh, yeah, thanks thanks for coming in. I really appreciate thank you taking you, the time. Thank you. That's been this episode of the Untitled Podcast. If you like what you heard, please follow us on Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or review so other people can find our show. Until next time, thanks for tuning in. <laughs>